Uh, it's, again, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Again, my name is Ryan, one of the pastors here at Seacoast. I want to tell you a few years ago, actually in the mid-1990s, there was this terrible war in uh, former Yugoslavia, and it kind of tore apart the, the country. And I had the privilege afterwards of taking high school students over a p- course of a several years into Bosnia and working with some orphans in that area. And I met a little boy named Alvedin, and he was uh, one who I was drawn to. We, did, we hung out with quite a bit, and one of the reasons I really liked him because he spoke English. He was my translator, a little 10-year-old translator. He learned English watching the Police Academy movies. <laughs> so he had a very well-developed vocabulary. <laughs> One day, Elvedin, at night, we were sitting on the steps of the orphanage, and I asked him to tell me his story, how he got there. I knew it would be a hard story for him to tell, but we had known each other for several years, and, and he told me that when the war began, he lived, uh, his dad disappeared. Um, they're not sure really what happened. And he lived with his mom and his younger sister, and his mom had to flee the country to a country of Macedonia. And when she was leaving, she said, I can't bring both of you. So she drove him to the orphanage in Zenitsa, Bosnia, and dropped him off at the stairs, brought him inside, and he remembered seeing a bunch of, a group of kids standing in the orphanage and seeing the new one who showed up. He told me the story, remembering when he was five years old, sitting on those stairs and watching his mother drive away with his younger sister. It was at that time when I realized that there's stories like Alvedin's repeated millions of times around the globe. And it's not fair. It's not right. It's painful. I wanted to pack him in my suitcase and bring him home and say, let me help you and do whatever I can. And at that point, I realized that we need to be people as followers of Jesus that reach out to kids like Alvedin across the world. And it's tough because Alvedin is from Bosnia. and It's a Muslim nation living in a state-run Muslim orphanage. And it was our opportunity to share the love of Christ with him and be there with him for that series, that time in his life. This morning we uh, have the privilege of having the president of World Vision with us, and he's going to share with us in just a moment. World Vision is an organization. It's one of the largest Christian relief organizations in the world. They're involved in over 100 countries across the globe. Uh, they like to say that they are child-focused, community-based, and Christ-centered in their approach. One of their aims is to uh, work in all the, uh, to develop this kind of a holistic approach of developing the whole community, to bringing up the community so that these kids can be raised in safe, healthy places. So not just going in and, and, and just helping the kid, they want to help the entire community. And so they have over 1,600 development projects or communities areas right now um, across the globe where they're working in. In April of this year, I had the privilege of being invited to a dinner, maybe by accident, but I got there anyway. And it was a dinner with six other pastors and some of the team from World Vision, including uh, Rich Stern and his wife, Renee. And I was impressed by their obvious heart and passion for children and doing something to help them across the globe. At that time, what was heavy on their minds was Syria and the refugee crisis. It developed a relationship with World Vision, and we even have some inside scoop with my sister-in-law works there in the, in the offices in Seattle area. But through that, we continued this conversation, said, how can we help our congregation be more aware of what's happening in Syria? So, and, 
So we said, hey, we'll bring this truck out. We didn't know how big it would be, and we're so glad of what it is. And then they said, hey, Rich would love to come down and speak. And I thought, that's great. Dale and I get a weekend off. It's fantastic. Let's do it. So I was talking to Rich a little, and before I invite him up, I want you to know a little about him. See, he's very qualified to be the president and CEO of World Vision because his BA was in neurobiology. (laughs) He was a president uh, at one time of uh, Lenox China Tableware, qualified him to work for World Vision. But then to really gain the experience, he was the president and CEO of Parker Brothers Games, the president of Nerf, Nerf guns and toys. We're very grateful for your work there. <laughs> our, home, our home is evidence of your legacy. <laughs> he's born and he's from Syracuse, New York, and his wife Renee is actually from Oceanside. And so it was very difficult to get someone who lives in Seattle to come to San Diego in November, but he agreed. And so it's enough about me, but I would love for a Seacoast to give a very warm welcome uh, to the President and CEO of World Vision, Rich Stearns. I try. Well, thank you, Ryan, and uh, thank you, Dale, for having me here. It's great to be at this church. You know, just watching that video of your work in the Congo and your work in Tanzania, it's uh, just really encourages me that your church is involved in uh, in Africa. There are more Christians in Africa than there are in the United States, and uh, and yet they have virtually no training for pastors, very few educational opportunities. Uh, so what the church needs there is discipleship and, and training for pastors. So thank you for doing that. Um, today I'd like to talk with you, not surprisingly, about kids. Because World Vision is all about helping kids uh, realize their full God-given potential. More specifically, I want to talk to you today not about your kids, uh, but about other people's kids. And since I'm talking about other people's kids, I, I have three grandsons of my own, and so I thought I would start with them today and show you a photo of them. Uh, yes, uh, Jonathan, Lincoln, and David, uh, they are indescribably adorable. There's not enough oohs and ahs going on out here. They are above average in every way, these three <laughs> boys. And I knew somehow this morning you'd want to see a picture of my grandkids. In fact, I choose to believe that everyone I meet would like to see a picture of my grandkids, and I have about 1,000 of them on my smartphone. So why am I boring you with pictures of my grandkids? It's because the one thing we all have in common is that we love our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews. We love their birthday parties. Uh, We love taking them to the petting zoo. Well, I didn't really love that, but we love watching their soccer games, celebrating Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving with kids. We love to read them stories, and we ooh and ah over every scribble with a crayon that they make, every handmade Christmas ornament made out of macaroni and glitter. They bring them home from school and we praise them. We love taking thousands of pictures of our kids, posting them on Facebook or showing our friends on our phones because we want to believe that everyone else must like our kids as much as we do. But as it turns out, other people are not quite as interested in our kids as we are. I know, it's so disappointing. Why aren't people more interested in my kids, my grandkids? You see, we're all hardwired as human beings to love our own children more deeply than we love other people's kids. 
And while you might care a great deal about your brother or sister's child, while you might be very interested in your friends or neighbor's kids or the kids of somebody who goes to church here with you, the further away we get from personal or direct emotional connection to a child, the less we actually care about them. That's kind of just the way it is. They're somebody else's kids. They're not ours. If you read an article in the newspaper today about the number of children killed in auto accidents every year, it probably wouldn't bring you to tears. But if you discovered today that your next-door neighbor's child was just killed in an auto accident, it would be really painful. You might even cry with your neighbor, I'm sure you would, over such a tragedy. But what if your worst nightmare happened and you received a phone call with the news that your child, your grandchild, had been killed in an auto accident. You know, that news would be devastating. It would be heartbreaking at the deepest possible level. It would be life-shattering. For some reason, we can become almost indifferent to tragedies that are far away from us emotionally, socially, or geographically. But when that same tragedy happens to us or someone close to us, everything changes. But here's the question theologically that I want to pose to you today. Do you think that God responds to tragedy the same way we respond? Do you think God looks at the suffering of a child in Cambodia or Lebanon or Syria with a certain sense of emotional distance? Does God have different levels of compassion for children based on their geographic location, their race, their nationality? Of course not. Of course He doesn't. God's love for each one of these children is deeper than we can possibly imagine. You see, God's love is infinitely greater and more inclusive than ours. And I believe that God's heart is broken for these children because every one of them is His child, not somebody else's. And you see, God wants us to see them the way He sees them. He wants, to love the, he wants us to love them as He loves them to care about them as He cares about them, and even to weep over them as He surely weeps. So I want to tell you today a little bit more about one of the greatest tragedies in our world today affecting other people's kids. Millions of other people's kids. It's the Syrian refugee crisis, and it represents the worst refugee crisis since World War II. Today, more than 10 million people, half of them children, have been forced to flee their homes in Syria because of a civil war that began there four and a half years ago. Some of them have seen their loved ones violently killed. Some have been injured themselves, and they've left their homes, their bedrooms, their toys, their schools, and their friends behind. Most of them took only the clothes on their back and a few things that they could carry as they fled the bombing, the rockets, the violence. And they're making their way to Lebanon, to Turkey, to Jordan, and even to Europe, desperately trying to find a better life somewhere, anywhere else. Hoping upon hope that someone will help them, that somebody will care. Somebody will see their suffering and reach out. But you know, for the last four and a half years, most Americans ignored this terrible crisis, including Christians, and the acute human suffering it's caused. Because, you see, they were somebody else's kids. They weren't ours. But imagine how we would react if more than 5 million American children were violently forced from their homes. But, you see, these kids were Syrian, not American. 
They spoke Arabic, not English. And they were Muslim, not Christian. And so for four years, we paid very little attention to these children. But on September 3rd of this year, something happened that grabbed our attention. On that day, the world was shocked to see the photo of one little Syrian boy lying dead on a beach in Turkey. And even though these photos are disturbing, I'm going to show them to you today because it's so important for us to see these children through the eyes of God and to feel something of the pain that God surely feels over their tragedy. This little boy's name was Ilan Kurdi. and, And he and his family were fleeing the violence, leaving everything behind, Little Island and his family fled 800 miles from their home in Kobani, Syria because of the fierce fighting between ISIS and the Syrian regime. And they made their way into Turkey and the plan was somehow to get to Greece because Greece was a member of the European Union and ultimately, if they could get to Greece, maybe they could find sanctuary in Canada. And you see, they had to pay a human smuggler over $5,000 to get their family in a small dinghy on the shores of Turkey that might get them across part of the Mediterranean Sea to Greece, where they might find refuge. But in the midst of rough seas that day, the smuggler abandoned the ship. It had twice as many people in it as it was supposed to hold, and uh, it capsized. And a number of people aboard the ship, six people, drowned, including little Ilan Kurdi, three years old. His five-year-old brother and his mother also drowned that same day. Island's father, Abdullah, desperately tried to rescue them as each one of his dear family disappeared underneath the waves. And then we saw that picture, the photo that shocked us and uh, shocked the world. And many people had their hearts pierced on that day, and suddenly this crisis in Syria became more personal for all of us. Because for the first time in four years, donations started to pour into World Vision. This little boy put a name and a face on a tragedy we had been able to ignore. You see, little Alan Kurdi was somebody else's kid. But when we saw that photo of him, we realized this could have been our little boy. It could have been our little grandson. And maybe it helped us see this truth, that Alan Kurdi was also God's little boy. In Matthew 25, Jesus spoke this amazing truth. I was hungry, he said, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. I don't know about you, but these verses from Matthew 25 have always gotten my attention. Because Jesus is essentially saying here that our relationship with the least and the lost in our world, the sick, the thirsty, the hungry, the naked, the prisoner, the refugee, our love, and, our love for them is directly correlated to our relationship to Jesus. Jesus is saying that when we love and care for the least of these, it is exactly the same thing as loving and caring for Him. 
When we love and care for the least of these in our world, it is exactly the same thing as loving and caring for Him. Think about that. God's love, His concern for the poor is so profound, He is so closely identified with their suffering, that our kindness to them, our relationship to them, is felt by Jesus directly. But the corollary is also true, that when we neglect the least of these, when we choose to ignore them, it is also felt by Jesus directly. It's the same thing as ignoring Him. I want to tell you about just a few more kids this morning. Just a month ago, I was in Lebanon with my wife and a couple of pastors and uh, a journalist and some donors of World Vision. World Vision has worked for 40 years in the little country of Lebanon. But today, Lebanon is a country of just 4 million people but they've taken in 1.2 million refugees in the last four years. So now one out of every four people in Lebanon is a Syrian refugee. That would be the exact same thing as the United States accepting 75 or 80 million refugees from Latin America in three years, four years. Can you imagine that? Some of them are living in tent camps or settlements like this one. Some are in basement apartments, two or three families to an apartment, maybe 19 or 20 people sharing one apartment. Many of these refugees have disappeared into the streets and cities of Lebanon like water into the sand. Every family we met told us their story of tragedy and despair. In fact, uh, they all had their house keys with them because the last thing they did, fleeing the violence, was lock the front door of their house, believing and hoping that someday they'd be able to come back. I want to show you a short video now and introduce you to another little boy who fled from Syria, made it to Lebanon with his mother and sisters. His name is Adil, and he now lives in a flimsy tent, totally dependent on the kindness of World Vision and other groups for his food, his water, for just about everything. Adil's father was killed in the Syrian war, and this little boy is now the man of his house. Can we run his, his video? You have to read the subtitles because it's in Arabic. This little boy in the video is just another heartbreaking example of a child who was unlucky enough to be born in Syria a few years before this terrible war broke out. And like, like a deal, these children have witnessed loved ones or family members killed. A whole generation of Syrian children are no longer in school. And what will become of their generation, we can only guess, 10 or 20 years from now. When I was in Lebanon, I visited the World Vision response work over there, and one of the places I went to was what we call a child-friendly space. This is a place where we bring Syrian children to come and, and be children again. They, they laugh, they play, they color, they sing songs, they do skits, they make crafts, they make macaroni and glitter uh, things. Uh, and World Vision's caring staff... Uh, counsel them through their trauma, help them deal with the sadness in their lives. And as I walked around the room, I, I was so shocked by some of the crayon drawings on the wall, I took photos of them with my phone. Uh, apparently, they had been told to uh, divide the paper in half, and on the left side of the paper to draw a picture of what their life looked like before the Syrian war, and on the right side of the paper to talk and write about to draw about what their life was like after the war. And on the left side of these photos, you can see generally happy drawings in their lives before their war, 
But on the right side, we see rockets and bombs and dead bodies and bloodshed. You can see here the trauma that these kids are dealing with. And I just want you to imagine your children uh, bringing uh, pictures like this home from school. Rocket fire, mortar fire, dead bodies in the street. This last one is uh, a happy family on the left and then on the right, dead bodies in front of the family and a rocket uh, dropping bombs on the children. Right now, I want you to think for a moment about the person you love the most in the world. There's probably more than one, but just pick one and imagine them now. It might be a child, it might be your spouse, it might be a mother or father. And I want you to imagine how you would feel if they were suffering in a faraway place. Imagine that they were being abused. Imagine that they were hungry and without clean water. Imagine that they were terribly sick or living in a refugee camp in a flimsy tent in the middle of winter. I want you to imagine how desperately you would try to do anything, anything in your power to help them. And now I want you to see that that's exactly how Jesus feels about every single one of these children, the least of these. Can you understand now how He wants our hearts to be broken by those same things that break His heart? You know, it shouldn't matter that they're 10,000 miles away. It shouldn't matter that they speak a different language or that they're of a different race. It shouldn't matter that their governments are to blame for this tragedy. It shouldn't matter that they're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim. You see, they're the least of these and they're children of God. God loves them and He wants us to love them in His name. Because when we do, He tells us it is the same as loving Him. Another one of these children I met in Jordan two years ago, her name is Haya. Haya was 10 years old when I met her in a refugee camp. Jordan is just another one of the countries bordering Syria, accepting refugees. Almost a million have gone there. Haya and her family also ran from Syria during the fighting and shelling. This little girl saw her father killed before her very eyes as they fled. And now she lives as a refugee with her mother and sisters in Jordan. She's homeless, can no longer go to school. When we met, she handed me a letter that she had written to me, and she had put a lot of thought into this letter uh, for a 10-year-old girl. Let me read part of it. She said, Peace to you. I am talking to you on behalf of the Syrian children, calling on you, the people of the other world. The people of the other world. Have you ever thought of the children of Syria, my country Syria? Please, she said, my name is Haya, and my father was killed. I loved my father so much, and now I'll never see him again. And then Haya, to make it worse, I was already in tears, but she had written a song that she wanted to sing, and, and she sang these words to me. Syria is in pain. Syria is bleeding. Syria is crying for her children. Her children were her candles, and they have faded out. We are crying, and Syria is crying blood because her children are missing. You know, I believe that God is crying for His children fleeing Syria because... They're his kids and not somebody else's. Well, I have a happier story I want to tell you today. I want to take you back to 1979 and a different refugee crisis. Hundreds of thousands of people in 1979 were forced to flee persecution in Vietnam. Because there was no escape by land, they piled into boats of all kinds. They set sail into the vast South China Sea, just hoping they could reach the shores of another country and find safety and asylum there. 
The media call them the boat people, and some of you who are old enough will remember the boat people crisis. No countries wanted them. Some things never change. And many of them drowned at sea, and those who did reach another shore were often turned away, unwanted and unwelcome. World Vision launched a rescue mission called Operation Sea Sweep, and our president bought a a boat and he sailed into the South China Sea to rescue as many people as he could before they drowned or died at sea. And this photo shows one of the boats that World Vision rescued in 1979. This boat had about 130 people on it. They were hungry, they were thirsty, they were close to death, they had no motor or power. But I want you to look more closely at one little face on that boat. That little boy's name was Vin. Like Ilan Kurdi, Vin was just three when his family fled Vietnam, and most of the world looked at him as just another throwaway child, just a refugee child with no name and no value. He was somebody else's kid, too. But like Vin, but Vin, like all of God's children, was precious and filled with potential. You see, Vin and his family were rescued that day. They eventually found asylum in the United States and they were settled in Arkansas. Vin was one of 11 children, and they all lived in one three-bedroom house. A local church adopted Vin and his family and helped them adjust to their new life. And over the next few years, all 13 of them became Christian after experiencing the love of God's people for the least of these. Vin worked hard in school, and he graduated as valedictorian of his high school. Vin began dating what he called the only other Asian girl in Arkansas, Liesl. Liesl went to a rival high school, and she was also a valedictorian, and Liesl was also also, uh, an immigrant from Korea. Her family came from Korea when she was little. After high school, Vin was accepted at Harvard University, and Liesl was accepted at Yale. And after graduating, they both got married, And while Vin went on to the Harvard Medical School, Liesl got her MBA at the Harvard Business School. Today, Vin and Liesl Chung live in Colorado Springs with their four children. You see, Vin is now a life-saving surgeon, and he's now on the board of directors of World Vision. And I'm proud to call him my friend. But you see, 36 years ago, Vin was just a throwaway child, likely to die in obscurity in the South China Sea without ever becoming all that God intended him to be. He was just somebody else's kid. I have to wonder what three-year-old Island Curdy might have become if he had lived. Would he have become a life-saving surgeon like Vin? Maybe an engineer? Maybe he would have become a diplomat that brought peace to his land of Syria. And among these millions of children who are Syrian refugees, I sometimes wonder if there's a future Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King among them. I have no doubt that there are. But what they become may depend on how they are treated and whether the world reaches out to them in their hour of need. When Vin Chung and his family were in the midst of their crisis, World Vision was there for them. A church in Arkansas was there for them. The body of Christ responded because they heard the words of Jesus. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
I'm going to ask you today if you'd be willing to help somebody else's kid. Your pastors encouraged me to offer the church the opportunity to help Syrian refugee families in a tangible way. You may want to pull the brochure out of your bulletin. It looks like this, and it's got a picture of a little girl. And uh, we have a new way to help children. Uh, World Vision is famous for sponsoring children, but that's not possible in the Syria response because the children are too uh, mobile and unstable. But you can become a refugee responder today by giving a monthly gift that allows World Vision to help children caught in this refugee crisis. These are kids just like Adil and Haya, who I talked about today. And the nice thing about this is you can just fill in whatever amount of money you can afford. If you're a student, maybe you can afford $10 a month. Uh, maybe you can afford $25 a month. There was a man in Indiana this year that uh, he wrote down $300 a month. He said God had blessed him, and he could... He could uh, respond at that level. So if you just fill out that card, you can take it back to the table in the back, outside the doors, and you can become uh, somebody that loves refugees and rescues maybe a child like Vin Chung. You know, over my many years at World Vision, God has given me the privilege of seeing firsthand what happens when uh, people of good faith like you put their faith into action. When Christians and churches reach out to people who desperately need a helping hand and a touch of Jesus' love. I've had the privilege of seeing the hungry fed and the uh, people taught to fish and farm. I've watched wells being drilled and the thirsty given water for the first time. I've seen the sick healed, the lame walk. I've even seen the blind given back their sight through life-saving surgeries. I've seen the lame walk. I've met refugees who've been resettled and disaster victims who've been restored. I've seen widows comforted and orphans cared for and young girls freed from trafficking and slavery and abuse. I've seen schools built and clinics opened and babies vaccinated. I've seen people in communities transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I've seen what's possible when God's people respond, when God's people demonstrate His love to a, a watching world and they give a little bit of love to somebody else's kids. I want to thank you for having me today. Uh, thank you for helping. And thank you for praying. Uh, I hope you will for the Syrian refugees and all of God's children around the world. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, if they were our own children, Lord, no price would be too high, no sacrifice too costly, no obstacle would be too great. We might even lay down our lives to save theirs. But they're not our children, Lord. They're somebody else's. But God, they are your children, precious in your sight. So Father, open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts to see them as you see them, to care about them as you care about them. Make it personal for us, Lord, because it's personal for you. I pray this in the name, the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.